We conclude a two-part series today titled, The Last Days. The subtitle of today's message is, What We Believe. This is important, obviously, for us to know what we believe. There are many different beliefs out there. Last week, we talked about why we believe, and then we went over a few of the scriptures that led us to understand how Israel is the key to what we believe. We believe it because God has fulfilled all his promises with the nation of Israel, and he brought Israel back into their land in 1948. And so that's why we believe, because he has proven himself over and over through these prophecies. If Israel didn't return back to their land, then there is no point looking for the rapture. Because without Israel, the future prophecies are not going to be fulfilled. It first had to have Israel come into the land. And then when God brought them into their land and established them again, the prophecies were all fulfilled that brought us to this date, today, where we know there is nothing else that needs to be done before the rapture takes place. That's important for us to recognize. So then we can be prepared now, there are some out there, there are many out there that have a preterist viewpoint. There are more than 50% of the churches in the country that call themselves Christian that have a preterist viewpoint. Preterism believes that all prophecy was fulfilled before 70 AD. That's what preterist means. It means the past. And so all prophecy was fulfilled in the past. I am not going to talk about preterism throughout this message because why focus on the lie when we can focus on the truth? And so that's the important thing. Don't focus on the counterfeit. Don't focus on the things that people try to tell you and then you have to argue it down. You know why you can't argue with them? Because they're wrong, and they don't know it. People that believe in evolution are wrong, and they don't know it. Science is the study of facts. And if you can't test whatever it is that you believe, then it remains a theory. In our schools today, they teach evolution as a fact, not as a theory. Yet, there's no test. There's no evidence for evolution. There are some Christians, and I hope not you, but some Christians that believe that God used evolution to create everything. That's impossible. Because if God used evolution to create everything, then that means that there was life before Adam and Eve. What, what were they under? What laws were they under? What rules were... It's impossible. The Bible is either true or it's fairy tales. And the reason we know it's true is because the author of the Bible lives within us. And so we know it's true. And, and see, that's an important thing because I, we have a small flock. We don't have hundreds of people. If we had hundreds of people here, I wouldn't be able to make that statement. But I know each of you personally, in one way or another, and I know that you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And I know that you have accepted Jesus Christ. If you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, raise your hand. Okay, good. So we're good. I want to get that out of the way right now. 
Okay, this is really important. And I, you know, while I'm taking it lightly, I, it's not a light thing to take. This is the most important decision anyone makes in their entire life. So, you know, we start there. And, and I'm not going to argue from any other viewpoint except the scriptures. Preterism thinks everything took place before 70 AD. That's why they're wrong. They believe Revelation took place before 70 AD. If you read the book of Revelation, you would know that's not true. Because if those things happened before 70 AD, we wouldn't be here. The earth would be completely destroyed and there wouldn't be any life really. Okay, it would just be really messed up and we would know it. History would tell us, oh, this, but that isn't what happened. They believe that it was a local event that just took place in Israel. Well, that's not what Revelation, Revelation says. It's a worldwide event that everything is affected. So there is no reason to even entertain the ideas of preterism. So what is the evidence for the rapture? What, what scriptures do we have? We have lots of scriptures. Here's the thing. I can't go over all of them, you know, because it would take about six months of Sunday studies to get through every single one of them. But I will focus on the primary ones. There is a sheet with all of the scriptures that I'm going to talk about today. There'll be a sheet of every scripture on the back table. You can grab that on your way out. So we begin by looking at why the rapture is the next event in end times theology here. Jesus tells us in Revelation 3.10, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. The whole world will be tested. That is the seven-year tribulation period. The whole world will be tested. But he says, because you kept my command to persevere, I will keep you from the hour of trial. He's keeping us from what's going to take place. Where is he keeping us? Not in Hawaii, not in some secluded place, not there. He's keeping us with him. He's taking us out of there. We're going to be kept. Paul explains this in 1 Thessalonians 1.10, how Jesus will deliver us. He says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Jesus will deliver us from the wrath to come. If he's delivering us from the wrath to come, that means he personally is going to do something to remove us from the wrath. And, and there, there is this new concept of a pre-wrath uh, or rapture, pre-wrath rapture, okay? And, and this is where it gets a little dicey. Okay, well, pre-wrath means it's going to happen right before the wrath of God is poured out. The wrath of God is poured out as soon as the Antichrist is revealed. He's allowing the Antichrist to be revealed to the world allowing him to bring Satan's work to the earth. Right now, the Antichrist is probably alive on the earth. He doesn't probably even know it at this point. But just like Judas, when he betrayed Jesus, it wasn't until a certain point and then Satan filled him. So he may not know it. He may. I don't know. I don't care about the Antichrist. I care about Jesus Christ. You see, 
He has the answers. The Antichrist is just the pawn in the game. Okay, and, and he, he'll be taken out of the game eventually. But we are not going to experience the wrath because of the Son of God. That's the good news for us. Jesus delivers us. We have examples of God doing that with Noah. And Jesus said, in the days of Lot and Noah are going to be like the last days. They're going to be just like the days of Lot, the days of Noah. Well, what were the days like there? Everybody was living for themselves, doing what they want to, so on and so forth, except for Noah. And, you know, God saw that Noah. Now, when God says that he was perfect in his generations, that doesn't mean that Noah was a perfect man. But perfect in his generations, it uh, implies that his bloodline was pure. You see, the rest of the world, the bloodline had been corrupted because of these animals that had left their domain. We're talking about demons. And had, this is all in Genesis chapter 6, and they saw the woman on the earth and they started having relationships with the woman on earth. They started bearing children. The DNA was corrupted. This was Satan's plan. Corrupt the DNA now. By the time Jesus comes, DNA is all going to be corrupted. He's going to have corrupt DNA. He's going to have sinful DNA. Okay, so that was his plan. How did it work out? Not good. Because there was Noah. Noah was the man God had preserved for such a time as this. And then he put him in an ark. And our ark has a name. His name is Jesus. And see, and Lot, he was removed before Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. Now, we can make the relationship, oh, Sodom and Gomorrah, they were homosexual, there was a bunch of homosexuality, that's how come they were destroyed and so on and so Yes, we can make that, but here's the point. Evil and removing people from me. Now, if you remember the story of Lot, he wasn't exactly top of the line, you know, as far as his beliefs and his walk. I think part of that was just because he was related to Abraham. And that's what actually saved him was the fact that Abraham was his covering. Now this is Old Testament. So if your mom and dad are Christians, that doesn't make you a Christian. That's the difference. We aren't living by laws now. We are living by the grace that has saved us through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what saves us. And so that's where we need to be focused as we share with others. We don't have to tell them, hey, you know what? You're a stinking liar. You're going to hell. You know? But if you stop lying, does that mean they go to heaven? No. Without Jesus, no one goes. So it isn't about the fact that we're all sinners. Every one of us. So it's not about the fact that we've reached perfection. We haven't. We won't, not for a long time. Well, <laughs> could be tomorrow. Um, because when Jesus comes, he's going to complete the work that he started in us. And we will be perfected. That's what complete means at that point. Perfected in Jesus Christ. That's the good news. Okay, let's get back to wrath. You know, Not that we want to focus on wrath, but... In 1 Thessalonians 5.9, Paul also wrote, For God did not appoint us to wrath. Who's us? Believers. Okay, he's not talking about the whole world. He's talking about believers. God did not appoint the church, Christians, to wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. You see, the gospel message is right there. Salvation is in Jesus Christ. And only those who accept salvation through Jesus Christ will avoid the wrath. That whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. So 
whether we die or whether we are alive, when Paul comes, uh, when Paul comes, when Jesus comes, Paul thought Jesus was coming in his day. Paul thought that Jesus may return in his time. And even if Jesus doesn't return in your time, you're still, you're going to beat us. If you die before Jesus returns, you're going to beat us to the cloud. You know, because the dead in Christ rise first, right? So, you know, and, and then we who are alive. And so Paul actually thought that this may happen during his lifetime. We need to live as if it will happen in our lifetime. As every generation before this, they're not alive maybe right now. But you know what? If they were believers, they're with the Lord. To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Spiritually. Their body's going to join them. How does that happen? Man, I, I keep thinking about that. Because uh, what, what if you got ate by a shark? You know, and you, uh, or part of you got ate by a shark. You know, and how does he do it? Because he knows every cell. I mean, you know, he knows every hair on your head. Some of you, it's easier to keep track. But for, you know, but there are some that... Anyway, he says in 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you were also... We couldn't comfort each other saying, well... You know, then when we see the abomination of desolation as spoken of by Daniel the prophet, we can all be comforted by that because there's going to be all kinds of hell being brought onto the earth. And that's not comforting. There's nothing comforting about that. But we comfort each other with these words because we're not going to be here. And we're not going to see it either. We're not going to be up there in heaven watching this on a big screen. Because that would be tragic. That would be painful to watch. So for those of you that are concerned about that, you know, that's, that's not one of the channels that we're going to get up there. <laughs> we are on a point of wrath. That's the most important thing. Daniel, he was an Old Testament prophet. He lived 500 years before Jesus. Do you know how preterists get away from Daniel's prophecies? They make him write the book of Daniel 200 years after Christ. Huh? You see, that's how they explain his prophecies. They are too accurate. They are too perfect. Explaining history the way that he does... In Daniel chapter 2, and there's just no explanation for how he knew all that, except God. So they have to move his letter to after Christ. But if they move the letter to after Christ when Jesus said, Daniel the prophet, well, how did Jesus, know? Daniel, he wasn't prophesying about Daniel being a prophet. He was talking about what Daniel had already written. In Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, we read, But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So Daniel had these visions from angels that came. Uh, really, the angel Gabriel, it seems like, made repeat appearances in Daniel's life and showed him the things that were going to come. And, and then as Daniel heard these things and wrote them down, um, we have them now today to look back on. And so when he said, in the last days, you're going to see these things, but the book is sealed until that time. Well, the book isn't sealed anymore. I read it. I understand it. All of us can understand what Daniel was writing about. It makes sense to all of us. So that is the evidence and confirmation that we are living in the last days and that what Daniel has written applies to us. Some of you may think that's a bad thing, but it isn't. It's good news. We can comfort each other with these words too. 
So we're looking at what happens on the world today. Everyone's running to and fro. Knowledge is increasing at an incredible rate. If you look back in history, in the 1700s, people weren't really mobile. You know, we still walked with our feet and we used horses and we used donkeys and camels and all the modes of transportation that have been used for thousands of years. And then the steam engine came about. And people started getting mobile, but it still took a long time to get anywhere you wanted to go. And then Tesla, electric cars came into being. Okay, it wasn't Elon, but it was electric vehicles. Electric vehicles, yes, the trains that came about were electrically powered. If you look in New York, there are still many places where the tracks that the, the trolleys ran, they were all had the electric lines that were running through the town. They still have the tracks in the ground where they, they're covered up with asphalt, but they, you know, they don't replace the asphalt enough, and then they come up through the asphalt. I know, I lived in Queens, and we had them running right. You know, now, there's sub, now there are, are elevated trains there where they used to be on the ground, and then they just built tracks up in the air, and, and they elevated them. But, so we went from steam to electric, and then the combustion engine came into being, and then people really began to get mobile. So we're talking about just a few hundred years. In the past few hundred years, we've been able to really start traveling. Up until planes were invented, commercial airliners, it still took weeks to get from one continent to the other. You know, and now you do it in hours. Get on a plane, you're on the other side of the world. You know, so this is reality. This is what Daniel's talking about. They're, they're going to be traveling to and fro, and knowledge will increase at an incredible rate. Notice he didn't say wisdom. He said knowledge. And, and that's what we got. We got a bunch of knowledge, not a bunch of wisdom. How to apply that knowledge. So another prophecy that the angel Gabriel gave to Daniel in Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse 25, says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And so... Here, Daniel is given this prophecy of the fact that everything will be destroyed. Well, it, it was. Babylonian, you know, Babylon had come in and destroyed everything. Ezra started rebuilding the temple. And Nehemiah went and started uh, rebuilding the, the wall. Right? And, but from the time of the going forth of the command to do all that and to get everything rebuilt, there's going to be seven weeks. Well, when we mention weeks, we're not talking about actual weeks. It's actually seven, 70, uh, sevens, okay? Sevens being seven-year periods, okay? So when we look at the first as seven weeks is seven sevens, which is 49 years. That's how long it took to restore store the wall, rebuild the temple, and get everything in Jerusalem functioning again as a city. With the wall rebuilt, they can protect inside, and they got the streets back in order, and they built the buildings again. But then after that, 62 weeks of years. So in total, 483 weeks uh, or, or years after that. So... After that point, it says that 
The street will be built even in troublesome times. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. And so after these, this time period, the 69 weeks are complete, the Messiah will be cut off. That's when Jesus, and, and there was this um, British um, theologian that went through and looked at, from the dates through history, looked at the date that the order was given to rebuild Jerusalem and the date, the time that Jesus entered into the Temple Mount coming up through the Kidron Valley in the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. And so he checked every detail. He went back to a 360-day year instead of a 364-day. He went through every detail, and Jesus wrote in exactly on that day, 483 years later. So that is a miracle in and of itself. It fulfilled this prophecy, but we're missing seven years. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Who's the he? Well, we go back to the previous verse. And the people of the prince who is to come. Well, the people of the prince who is to come was the Roman army that came in and destroyed Jerusalem. They shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. They destroyed the temple. They didn't mean to. It wasn't part of the plan. But somehow a fire got ignited inside and it burned everything. It melted everything. Jesus said in Matthew, do you see this temple? Not one stone will be left upon another. And if you go there today, you will see not one stone is left upon another. They're all in rubble all around the outside of the temple down towards the Kidron Valley. They're all in there. Why? Because when they burned the temple, it melted the gold that was in the, the covering, the roof, the walls. There was gold everywhere in there. It all melted, and the only way to get to the gold was to take every brick apart, every stone they had to move so they can get to the gold. And that's how come not one stone was left upon another. And so they destroyed the city and the sanctuary. The end of it being a flood was the flood of the Roman army coming in and then causing the Jews to flee, the diaspora, And they fled the area. They went to all the other... We're in the book of Acts right now. Okay, we're, our regular study we're going to be picking up in a couple of weeks in the book of Acts talks about the fact that they were all out there in these places now planting churches. They were out there spreading the good news. It doesn't say planting churches, but that's actually what was taking place. They were, you know, going to these different cities and sharing the love of God and churches were being formed. People were congregating in groups and getting together. So this prince who started this, it's not, he wasn't a physical person because it says the prince who is to come. Okay, and so we know who that is. He's the Antichrist, he's Satan. He is to come. He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Okay, so there's a covenant that's for seven years, and it's with many. So we, through implication, understand that that means that there's going to be more than just Israel other nations are going to sign off on this and say, okay, we're good with this. We'll accept this. Here's my opinion. My opinion is the rapture takes place. Because the rapture takes place, Russia thinks, oh, now is a good time to go in and attack Israel. And Ezekiel 38 is fulfilled. 
In Ezekiel 38.4, God is prophesying to the ruler of these nations, to the ruler of this organization, and said, I'm going to put a hook in your jaw, and I'm going to turn you around and draw you into Israel. Those words are important. Turning you around. Well, what does that mean? It means they were headed in a direction away from Israel, and they were turned around and brought back into Israel. I believe the reason why they turn around and come back into Israel is because of the rapture. When the Christians are gone, who in this country is going to stand up for Israel? So once that takes place, Russia is going to say, there's no one that's going to stop us. We're going in. The hook in the jaw could very well be the oil that has been detected in the Golan Heights, the largest oil reserve in the world so far. Larger than what Saudi Arabia has in the Golan Heights. Who does the Golan Heights belong to? Syria. What? Well, no. Israel won it in the war. Yes, they did. But as far as the UN is concerned, Israel is an occupying force in the Golan Heights. It legally belongs to Syria. That's how come Russia has been telling, you can read, this is current news. Russia, the two days before they went in and attacked Ukraine, Russia wrote a letter to Israel saying, you need to abide by the original declaration from the United Nations. You need to move back to the borders. We recognize that land as Syria's. Well, now they can say, hey, Syria, we are going to take your land back. We want 50% of the oil. We're going to go in and we're going to take that land back for you. And, of course, Syria, they're like, well, we've got $7 to our name. So, okay, go ahead. You do that. That'll be helpful. And so you can see how all of that makes sense. That the plan actually makes sense. But Russia's not going to do that if there are still Christians around. Because we are the ones that defend Israel. But we know that when this takes place, no country stands up for Israel. In Ezekiel 38, it says that they're going to say, what? What are you doing, Russia? Why are you going in and attacking the city of unwalled villages. You're going there to take plunder, to take booty? Is that what you're going for? But nobody does anything to stop them. And so it just makes sense, doesn't it? By the way, and for those of you that enjoy prophecy, um, this is going to be a recording that's going to be preserved on our site so people can go and look at this in the future and recognize the, the things that we're teaching here and compare it to what's going on in the world. So when we're raptured, they're going to go and say, oh, that guy knew. <laughs> yeah, it's only because I read the Bible. So he's going to confirm this covenant for one week, for a, a, um, seven years, he's going to confirm the covenant, but in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice. This is what I was talking about, the abomination of desolation. He is going to erect the statue of himself and declare himself to be God. And that's when the Jews realize we've been duped. They've been going along with this the whole time. And they're going to realize, oh, we've been duped. You know, this isn't the Messiah that we thought it was. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation, which is determined, it's poured out on the desolate. And so, it's just going to be um, havoc after that point. After that point, two-thirds of the Jews in Jerusalem die. And 
only a third get out of Jerusalem and end up going into where, while we believe they go into the mountains in Jordan, I'm not going to get into that right now. But this covenant may be in existence right now. It has to be confirmed. And that's when these organizations, so can you see Russia doing this and their whole army gets destroyed right there in the mountains of Israel. And it's obvious Israel didn't have anything to do with it because Israel was thinking peace and safety. And then, and then Russia comes in and then God intervenes. And then by God intervening, now the Antichrist says, oh, hold on, I've got I've to figure this out, make peace somehow. And that's when the seven-year treaty allows the third temple to be rebuilt on the Temple Mount. And then you can read about that in Revelation where the outer court is given unto the Gentiles, but the temple is rebuilt. And it can be done. We've been up there on the Temple Mount, measured it all out. There's plenty of room to do it. And so this is exciting to see us get to this point. So in the middle of that seven years is the abomination of desolation. Daniel wrote about it in Daniel 11.31. He says, and forces will be mustered by him, that prince, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices. So a temple has to be existing for daily sacrifices to be happening and place the abomination of desolation. And this is what Jesus wrote about in Matthew 24, 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet standing in the holy place, let him who hears this understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountain. Jesus said it. So Jesus was confirming what Daniel wrote, and Jesus called Daniel a prophet. He wouldn't call Daniel a prophet if any of his prophecies failed. A prophet that, doesn't, that isn't 100% accurate is stoned to death. That's what happens to prophets that aren't prophets, really. But Jesus called him a prophet. That means that everything written in the book of Daniel is prophecy. Well, the prophecies that are written in the book of Daniel are prophecy. Okay, there are some that are just historic, but the prophecies are all accurate. So, the prince hasn't come yet. He hasn't confirmed a covenant. We haven't seen this all take place yet. So it's going to happen. But what's the most important thing? Well, Jesus tells us in the beginning in Matthew chapter 24, when he's talking with the disciples on the Temple Mount, and they're saying, oh, look at the beautiful buildings. You know, isn't this wonderful here? Don't we have a great temple and everything? And that's when Jesus talks about it all being destroyed. And they said, well, what will be the signs of the last days? How will we know? And then in Matthew 24, 4, Jesus answered them and said, take heed that no one deceives you. Deception is going to be one of the first things that's going to cause problems. Take heed that no one deceives you. Well, he was talking to the guys at the temple. Oh, Matthew chapter 24 was written for us today. And it was written for those people that are going to be living in the tribulation. They're going to understand what's going on in the world by reading Matthew chapter 24 and 25. Two chapters are going to explain everything going on to them. And then in Revelation, they can read what they have to look forward to. But until that point... Jesus is saying, starting with deception, Paul says the same thing in 2 Thessalonians 2.3. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. That's going to happen. There's a deception. That will happen. How do I know? Because it's already happening. We see it right now. There's a great deception out there. Churches are fighting with Christians that believe in the rapture. Other religious leaders are mocking Christians that believe in the rapture. 
Oh, there's nothing in the Bible that says it. I'm using the same Bible. Except I don't allegorize what I'm reading. I read it as a promise and a fact. And it's literal. And so when I read these things, I can be comforted by them. I can be sure that I'm trusting in the right person. But many of these churches, they're trusting in the wrong thing. Now, does that mean they're all unsaved? No, of course not. But the fact is that how they use the argument, well, if you believe in a rapture, then you're not going to be prepared for the tribulation. No, I believe in the rapture. That's why I'm prepared for the tribulation. You see, and if someone comes and makes a statement and declares and confirms a, a covenant with the nation of Israel for seven years, and I'm still here, and well, all of us are still, if all of us are still here, and if I'm still here, I'm going to say, oh my goodness, what was I doing wrong? Anyway, when, if, if we are still here and that takes place, then all of us are going to say, Antichrist. All of us will know at that point. But we can't know. Because in 2 Timothy 4.3 it says, For the time will come, well, they will not endure sound doctrine. Okay, those are the people that are they're according to their own desires and have itching ears. They're heaping up for themselves teachers and they turn their ears away from the truth. There are those people out there and then there are those people that believing in the truth following the truth and then in 2 Thessalonians 2 7 it says that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work are we seeing lawlessness in the world today now Paul is writing this to the church and he's saying the mystery of so a lot of people take that as Paul is talking to them, saying the mystery of lawlessness is already at work there. But he's addressing the end times church. He's addressing those that will be alive in the end times. And the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. We see it every day. We see lawlessness out there. Not only is there lawlessness, um, there's no justice against the lawlessness that we're seeing in the world today. And by their own laws, they're not performing any kind of justice against those laws. They're not prosecuting those that are breaking the law. That's happening today. That isn't a far reach, is it? So it's already at work. Only he who now restrains... The he is capital. The reason why is because we're talking about the Holy Spirit restraining the lawless one. Restraints will do so until he is taken out of the way. He, the Holy Spirit, once again. So, how is the Holy Spirit taken out of the way? Well, where does the Holy Spirit live? In us. So, when he's taken out of the way, then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. That's not happening the day after he's revealed. As a matter of fact, that's not going to happen for a while. Some people think, oh, seven years, and then he's going to be destroyed and so on and so forth. But he's released again after a thousand years. That's another one of the preterist viewpoints, that there's no such thing as a millennium. Although in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 4, it clearly explains that there is a millennium. But because when you allegorize things, they don't fit into your worldview. And so they believe the millennium started in 70 AD. I guess they don't know how to count. Mill means a thousand Millennium is the annual uh, account. It's years. A thousand years. So it, it's very clear as to what's being spoken of here. But um, I digress. So 
Here's what's going to happen. We know it. And he can't be revealed until we are taken out of the way. And so once we're taken out of the way, he's revealed. In 1 Corinthians 15, 51, we're told, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. The dead are raised, and then we are changed. We don't have to wait to die. We're going to be changed from these bodies into better bodies. Perfect bodies. Yes. <laughs> bodies that can endure heaven. See, right now these bodies can't endure heaven. But we're going to be changed into bodies that will be able to endure heaven. First Thessalonians 4.15 says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who are asleep. See, they were worried about the dead, that the dead weren't going to make it. Only the people that were alive were going to heaven. And he said, no, don't worry about that. The dead are actually going to beat us to Jesus. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, and Paul said we, we who are alive. So he thought he was going to be there maybe. And uh, remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Wow, we're going to be in the air, in the clouds. Remember the angels at the Mount of Transfiguration? Oh, no, excuse me. I apologize. When Jesus resurrected and, and he ascended into heaven and the angels were there and said, what are you looking at? Because they were all like, and what are you looking at? What are you looking for? The same Jesus that went up, he's coming back the same way. So what are you looking for? And, and see, he wasn't coming back that week. You know, he said, don't worry, he's coming back. There, there was definitely a promise to be ready for his return. We can't be standing, our necks would get sore. We can't be standing there just waiting for him to come back. But we need to be doing some things, getting ready for his return. So he's going to come back and we're, then we're told, comfort each other with these words. Comfort one another. We can be comforted by these things, knowing that we're going to be out of here. That should give us comfort. That we're not going to endure the governments of this earth. The governments of this earth are out of their stinking minds. I mean, it's just because people think that they can solve the world's problems. And there are many people in the world that think that the government can solve the world's problems. How has that worked so far? We've had thousands of years and we still have problems. As a matter of fact, the more technology, the more information, the more knowledge, the more wisdom we have, the more problems we have. That's because the answer to our problems is God. But people aren't willing to resign that and, and to believe in that. In Titus 2.11, we read, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice it doesn't say the return of our Lord and Savior. It says the glorious appearing. And he's not appearing to everyone. He's appearing to us who are going to be taken out of here the rest of the world he won't be appearing to, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify 
for himself, his own special people, zealous for good works. The Lord is preparing us. He is purifying us for the good works that he has for us to do. And we should be zealous about them. See, that, those verses tell us how we should be living today. Who we should be trusting in. The best news comes from Jesus who gave us this assurance in John 14, 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you. He doesn't say, I'm going to come again to the earth and I'm going to establish my throne here. He says he comes again and receives us to himself. That where I am, there you may be also. And so that's the good news. That he is coming again. That's all part of the gospel. He died. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. And he's coming again to pick us up. And then we will be with him forever. Are we looking forward to that? Are we excited about that good news? The world and many believe that we're going to be going through tribulation. Some believe we're in the tribulation right now. And uh, I, I read Revelation. Uh -uh. We're, not in, we're not in tribulation now. Thank goodness. But it's coming. It's coming. We're going to be out of here before them. I'm going to comfort you with those words. And that's the good news. Amen. Amen.